0: Hey everyone, today's guest is Swedish superstar Joel Kinneman, who you probably recognize from the Killing, Robocop, Suicide Squad, and For All Mankind. You'll get to hear Joel describe how a marriage proposal can lead to incarceration, what it's like to work at McDonald's, and how to respond when your date asks how many people you've slept with. Later in the episode, April and I talk with a listener who faces the tough choice of staying with his partner in a small town or chasing his dreams in a big city. If you have a question and would like some unqualified and qualified advice, please look for the link at unqualified.com. All right, here he is, Joel Kinnaman. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Unqualified with your host, Anna Ferris.
1: I just trained so I'm like drenched in sweat.
0: What did you do? Do you mind my asking workout talk?
1: I just had my friend over and we were uh, wrestling in my garage. I trained the martial art called Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. You basically just try to choke each other and break each other's arms. And when someone is in a position to do that, then you the other person gives up and then you start over.
0: Are you a fair loser just in general?
1: Yeah, I think I am.
0: Are you a good apologizer in general?
1: Yeah. I am. I don't mind apologizing, actually. I don't mind it at all. If it can end a fight, I'm very happy to. I think I learned from my mom. She was very good at those kind of things, instilling those sort of morals of not having an ego in uh, resolving fights.
0: Okay, so Joel, will you tell us about pectus excavatum?
1: So pectus excavatum is this skeletal deformity. I think it's a deformity that happens in one in 200 to some degree. And they grade this to a one to 10. And I had like a seven and a half to eight in severity. So it was pretty severe. And what it is, is that it's your sternum continues to grow when it shouldn't. And what happens is that it pushes the sternum in and creates this concave chest. So I realized that I looked different, you know, maybe when I was maybe 9, 10. I, I mean, like, noticed that it was different, but then it was more kind of fun. I remember I could, you know, I could have pour like almost a whole soda in the hole and I would drink it from a straw.
0: That was pretty creative. But I imagine as you grew up, it affected you differently.
1: Yes. Then the sort of the peer reality sets in. And I just remember, you know, when I started getting picked on about it and, and you know, bullied. And I was someone that loved swimming, loved, you know, being out in the sun and loved to, you know, take my shirt off and just swim. But I became super shy, so I never took my shirt off. And it also, you know, it gave me a really bad posture, so I was very forward-rotated. And it was something that I, you know, tried to learn to live with when I grew up, but it definitely helped shape me. It, I walked around with this... Sense of being deformed. I was grossed out by myself. I never wanted to show anyone, but it was funny when I was like in intimate situations with girls. It wasn't that big of a deal, and they never really cared that much. I felt like it was. It was actually more in the sort of public, you know, when there was a lot of people around, and mostly how other guys reacted to it.
0: Yeah, it's hard to be different, especially when you're younger. Joel, that makes me want to ask you about tall poppy syndrome, which I've heard is not uncommon in Scandinavian culture. So between this physical struggle that you had and an early acting career, did you feel like a tall poppy?
1: Yes and no. I mean, I was in a group of friends that all were becoming actors and and were actors. And and when, you know, we started out, they were way more successful than I was. And there was definitely sort of like a competition in that group. Um... Yeah, there, there was a bit of that, you know, tall poppy syndrome. I mean I mean Sweden yeah. has that in general. We call it the Janta law. It's basically the same thing as tall poppy syndrome. It's, you know, don't try to be so special, but um, I don't know. I never really felt diminished by that. I think I was more diminished by being in a group of friends where I didn't realize that they were in competition with me in a way that I, I wasn't in competition with them. And I didn't realize that they were sort of undercutting me and trying to make me insecure as, you know, I felt like I was on their team, but I don't think that they necessarily were on my team. And it took me years to realize that and understand that that's actually not real friendship.
0: Do you still have a lot of community back there? Do you still have a lot of friends and connections?
1: I had this phase in my life where I really cut out a big chunk of my friends. I just I had too many people in my life and I was spreading my energy really And I was spreading the energy on people that weren't really giving back to me in the same way. And, and then I I got really hurt a couple of times by some people that I thought were very close friends. And I just had this reckoning. And I, I took a look at every single friendship that I had. And decided to just focus on the people that I deemed that were my real friends. So instead of having, you know, like 15, 20 friends, I decided, no, I'm going to focus on these four relationships. And I'm going to give all my energy to these people. And I'm going to, you know, just deem that the rest of this is just noise. And my life, like, got so much better after that. It was a huge improvement for me.
0: Do you mind my asking when that was?
1: Maybe eight, nine years ago.
0: You had a flourishing career in Hollywood at that time.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I was doing good.
0: Okay. Do you have a favorite movie that you could watch over and over?
1: I mean, I have several. Yes. But it varies. I don't have like that one movie. It's like I just got re-obsessed with a movie that was my favorite movie a few years ago, The Prophet. Just so genius. It's this French movie. It came out, I think, 2010 or 2011. It's a prison movie by Jacques Audiard, who arguably one of the best three directors in the world, in my opinion. He's an amazing director. This is his like masterpiece, his like magnum opus. It's a pretty simple story in some ways, but uh, it's about a guy that you know goes to prison and has to you know reinvent himself and basically grow up in this incredibly hostile and uh, dangerous environment.
0: Okay, now to ask, you've just done a ton of press for Suicide Squad, correct? Yes. Can you tell me like two questions that you hope that no one ever asks you again?
1: <laughs> you know, every movie has like eight questions and every interviewer asks at least four of them. That's the general rule. For me in Suicide Squad, everyone asks me, so, what's the difference with the second movie from the first one? And uh, how was the experience different in the second movie compared to the first one? Oh, God. Yeah.
0: What do you say? Yeah,
1: I got my spiel. I got my spiel.
0: Can I interview you? <laughs> yeah. So, Joel, this is so exciting. Suicide Squad 2 is coming out. So, tell me now, what was the difference between. The first one in that experience and the second one in this experience.
1: Well, you know, this was a James Gunn movie, you know, so he just came in with the script that we all loved. And and we realized right away that this was, you know, the James Gunn version of the Suicide Squad. And, you know, there's just nothing else like that.
0: Oh, yes. He's great. For our listeners, I mean, our viewers... He's the guy who did those movies with the talking raccoon and the tree. So you're saying you like the sequel better? The first one did make a whole lot of money.
1: It made a lot of money, but, you know, I don't think there was anyone that, like, really loved that movie. And, and it definitely didn't turn out the way that we hoped. It was one of those big movies where there were conflicting visions, you know, that ended up on the screen. And you never want that.
0: I think that's a very apt way of putting sort of a lot of tentpole movies It's a lot of conflicting visions, a lot of concern of, like, profit over quality. Things get rushed. Yeah. I did four scary movies, Joel. (laughs)
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) All right. What was your first boss like?
1: It was at McDonald's. I think it's actually the only job where I really was told that I didn't have what it took to make it there. Because I really...
0: What do you mean? Tell me about this.
1: I came in and I only worked weekends, you know, because I was still in school. I was like 11, 12. I started working there early.
0: Wait, in Sweden, they allow you to work at age 11 or 12?
1: Yeah, you can work like, I mean, it was basically child labor, but you could only work a couple days a week. So I came in on the weekends and, you know, my job was to like wipe the tables and then eat the trays and then take out the trash cans. And I remember, you know, like I was pretty good at wiping tables pretty quick. I was very competitive. And then every now and then, I think like, you know, every third day they would let me into the kitchen. And I would see like in the kitchen there on the table and you'd lay out like all the buns. And then you go like with the ketchup clicker, you'd be like click, 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 click. And then you go with the mustard, click, 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 click. And you ship them over to the guy who puts the meat on, you know. And um, I felt like I did pretty good. You know, whenever they put me in with the clicker, I thought I was like doing good. And like maybe the third weekend they let me in and I was like, could I just, you know, stay here? I feel like I'm a really good clicker. And the guy was like, I don't know how to tell you this, but you're not a good clicker. You don't have what it takes. (laughs) You're going to be wiping tables for the rest of your time here. Shit. And that's what I did. And then they never let me back in. And I didn't even fuck up, you know. It was, uh, I just didn't have what it takes, you know. It was rough. It was a rough start to my professional life.
0: I do think that in the service industry, attempting to fill your brain with more interesting things is the major challenge.
1: Yeah. So I lived in Oslo for a year. And when I was there, I worked a bunch of different jobs. I worked in two different factories. And for a week, I worked in my chocolate factory. And then I worked in a beer factory for six months or something.
0: Tell me about factory work.
1: Oh, my God. So tedious. So I had a bunch of different jobs at the beer factory. My position that I was at the longest, it was interesting work, for sure, because I was a crucial, you know, cog in the machinery. So where the empty beer cans, when they were traveling from, you know, one end to the next, there was this, um, what do you call it?
0: Like a conveyor belt?
1: Yeah, the conveyor belt. Exactly. So when they were traveling on the conveyor belt, the conveyor belt had this turn, a critical turn. And every now and then in this turn, a beer can would fall over. And then I was there, you know, sitting ready and just boom, raised it back up.
0: So a can would fall and you would be there ready to save the day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was so boring. And sometimes, you know, there wouldn't be a can falling over for like five minutes. And, and it was also, if something fell, I could easily just, you know, walk over there. So I would walk around and I'd make some adjustments in this conveyor belt. And, you know, a couple of times, you know, I fucked up everything and then all, you know, all the cans were falling over and, and it was a bit of a mess. But then I, I seemed to have gotten it right. And there was this uh, uh, air that was like blowing, that was pushing the cans and I, I adjusted that so it was blowing the cans a little less. And then there was this bumpy part. It was a little plastic ceiling that they would bump against. And I just lowered it a little bit more. And then all of a sudden, the cans were feeding into this corner in a little bit different way. And all of a sudden, they weren't falling over anymore.
0: Did you just make your own job irrelevant and unnecessary?
1: I invented myself <laughs> out of the <laughs> equation. So, you know, I was like, this is fucking great, you know, so I just sat there and then I, you know, I realized, like, I can bring a book, you know, so I brought a book, I started reading, and um, (laughs) the guy that released me from my shift, you know, after a few days, he was like, like, a little bit worried, he was like, have you noticed the cans aren't falling anymore? And (laughs) And I was like, yeah, yeah, no, I've noticed. He was like, yeah, they're not falling at all. The cans are not falling, I was like, just calm down. And then when I was sitting on my shift, like the foreman, he was walking around and he was like, he had this little clipboard. He was like, you have noticed that uh, the cans seem to not be falling. And I was like, yeah, he was like, interesting, very interesting. And then I realized like, oh, shit, I got to change everything back because I'm about to lose my job here. So I changed everything back real quick. You and then, did? And yeah, yeah, of course. And then and then the cans started falling again. And the foreman was like, oh, yes, they're falling now, you know. And, and, and the guy that, you know, came in after me, he was like, oh, cans are falling. Cans are falling. We are back in business.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. Ready to pop the question? All right, so if you could live anywhere in the world for a year, where would it be?
1: Somewhere with waves. Maybe Tahiti.
0: Do you surf a lot? hmm I'm really envious of people who surf.
1: Fortunately, it's a really, really steep learning curve. It's the hardest thing I've ever tried to learn. And I've done it for several years now and like really tried. And I'm still pretty shitty. You know, I can surf and I've surfed some bigger waves and I can sort of handle myself in the water now. But it took years to to even learn how to paddle. You know, it's fortunate that it's that hard because, you know, there's only so many spots. And like in LA, for example, it's so crowded. And, you know, waves are not constant. And you can only be one person per wave. So we don't need any more surfers. It's too hard. Don't try.
0: (laughs) Okay, fair enough. I would get in the way. I know I would. I would ruin a lot of waves for a lot of people.
1: No, but I'll, I'll teach you. You can come with me.
0: I love it. Okay, so my talk show experience is a whole different, like, topic of anxiety, I guess, for me. (sighs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) I know, I know. But you told a great story about your engagement. Do you mind telling us?
1: So Kelly loves sunrises and sunsets. So I had this idea that I was going to propose during a sunrise hike. And we were in Hawaii at the time. And I was, like, figuring out where the best sunrise spots would be. I knew that the hike that I was going to take her on was technically on private land. And
0: Who told you about this hike? And are you the kind of person that comfortably breaks laws?
1: <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, when I was younger, I, I was very comfortable in breaking laws. Uh, now I'm, I'm trying to be a little more cautious and responsible. You know, I think I have a better sense of consequence now than I did when I was younger. But um, it was just, it's just a hike, you know, there's no harm done, you know. I'm with you. And I was, you know, rushing down, you know, because we had to get up at like 430 in the morning. And, and you know, she always wants to take me hiking. And I'm, I like hiking when I'm there. But there's just a lot of things that I'd rather do than lugging my body up a mountain. So she was really surprised that I was like, hey, let's go do a sunrise hike. It's going to be great. So I had it all planned out, I, you know. I found a jeweler in Hawaii and I found a ring that I thought she would love. I later found out that I just had chosen a ring, uh, that that was somehow like a gamble that people don't do that. I
0: I love it that you did that.
1: Yeah, I don't really care so much about the whole sort of marriage and proposal traditions and, and that stuff. It should just be what it is between you guys. I don't like the whole enter some tradition of how you're supposed to do things. It should be a celebration of your love. So you figure out your own way to do it. And hopefully the person that you love and that you do it to will see the same way. But I got this ring anyway. So I had it in my pocket and we were gunning down the highway driving, you know, 85, 90 on the freeway because it was like getting light much sooner than I thought. So it's really stressed. I was like, come on, we got to, you know, we got to get there. We got to get to the sunrise. And Kelly was like really looking at me strangely. She was like, never gets this excited about a hike ever. And like, what the fuck is going on? And then, you know, because I was so stressed, I got us on the wrong track. So now we were like going through these like thorny bushes and I was getting cut. And I was like, hurry up. Like we need to get to the park. And, and then I'm like, fuck, we're on the wrong spot. We're in the wrong trail. We got we to gotta go back. And then we doubled back and she was like, Joe, what is going on? I was like, I'll tell you later, but it's important that we get there. (laughs) And then finally, you know, we came to the right spot. I just felt immediately like I just got like super calm and I was like, this is the spot. And then I told her like, you know, let's let's sit here and like meditate in the sunrise. And then she was like, "Okay, you never asked me to meditate before. This was my plan. So first, I you know, I took a little beat and like, Then I got the ring out and, uh, you know, did the whole deed, got down on my knee, and then she opened her eyes, and, and then I proposed. And we had a beautiful time up there. We FaceTimed our parents, and uh, and then we we hiked down, and and right when we were going to get to the car, there was a cop waiting for us. There were two cops, actually. And they were like, uh, sir, would you come with us? Uh, you, you know you're trespassing, right? And there were signs everywhere, you know, like... <laughs> Said, you know, trespassing, <laughs> uh, you know, this is a felony, <laughs> yada, yada.
0: It's a hike that a Swedish actor found out about. <laughs>
1: and then it kind of dawned on me that maybe a second degree trespassing would not be great for Kelly to have in her green card application.
0: Shit, I didn't even think about that element.
1: Me neither, you know. <laughs> Poor Kelly, I'm always like, trust me.
0: <laughs> Is this a situation where you were hoping perhaps they would recognize you? Or are you at a place where that stuff doesn't occur to
1: you? No, I, I don't. I don't never like I've gotten out of situations like I've gotten out of a couple of speeding tickets.
0: Yeah, shit, Joel, you drive fast. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, <do. laughs> I like I like driving fast. Anyway, so we came down there and I was like, sir, um, look, I know that we made a mistake here. And, you know, I'm really sorry, but I just want to let you know that the reason I went up here was so we could be alone and I could propose. And the guy goes look, I appreciate the sentimental bullshit, but that's out of my hands. I was like, okay. And then he walked over to his colleague and he was like, apparently they proposed. And the other guy was like, really? I was like, yeah, I'm look, sir. I'm, I promise you like, we'll never do this again. You know, obviously it was a one-time thing. I'm really sorry. You know, please, could you just let us off the hook for this time? And he was like, you have any pictures? I was like, sure. Sorry. Do you have any
0: pictures?
1: <laughs> yeah. So he wanted to make sure that my story was true.
0: Well, first of all, your fiancé is, like, jaw-droppingly stunning.
1: Yeah, she's all right.
0: <laughs> Maybe they were, like, resentful. <laughs> yeah. would you mind my asking how you and kelly met
1: yeah so we we linked up and and got contact online sort of and we started texting and i think we were like texting each other for a good year before we met really yeah
0: are you good at text communication would you say
1: when i go back and look at that communication it's pretty cringy
0: because it's distant or personal
1: I'm just trying too hard, you know.
0: Oh, I think that's really sweet.
1: I don't know if you'd think that if you read it, you'd be like, "Eh."
0: I don't know. I think it's really sweet. Like you were into it. That's (laughs) really nice.
1: Yeah. Then we uh, finally got her to uh, come on a dinner and.
0: Was it in Los Angeles? Yeah. Were you immediately like, I'm so into this or did it take a minute?
1: It took a minute to realize that this is important. You know, at first I was just kind of, you know, it it was fun to meet someone. She was incredibly attractive and and super sweet and smart and had a very different perspective on things.
0: In what way? Do you mind my asking?
1: You know, she's just a person that has lived on her own. You know, she's been a professional since she was 13. So she has a very sharp take on personalities and people. And this is not cynical at all which I thought was remarkable.
0: Has Kelly, have there been any particular changes that you've noticed in your lifestyle?
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely there's a lot more like face creams and stuff in the house now.
0: It's not like you're watching Real Housewives of Salt Lake City
1: now. No.
0: It's a fascinating show, Joel. Check it out sometime.
1: The Real Housewives of of Salt Lake City, that sounds like a great one.
0: I could give you a lot.
1: You know, we need to step up our guilty pleasure reality TV game. I feel like that is something that we are lacking in our relationship, and we need to be better.
0: It's easy to dismiss as frivolous and vapid, but...
1: Did you ever watch... For the love of Ray J?
0: No. Is it good?
1: I mean, that's like eight, nine years ago. It was great. That was really good television. It was basically like The Bachelor, but it was Ray J. And he was also the producer of the show. And it was just a bunch of girls that were supposed to like try to hook up with him. And then he would hook up with all of them. It was about, you know, for Ray J to find love. And he didn't. He didn't find love, you know, but but it was great television.
0: I have some great recommendations for you.
1: Give them to me.
0: I love Below Deck Mediterranean. Check that out.
1: Below Deck Mediterranean. What is that shit? Yes,
0: it follows a group of young people who work on chartered yachts. Mm. and it's good it's fun television there's some boat crashes everyone's sleeping with each other is it
1: like kind of uh like love island meets
0: no there's no competition it's simply following these employees it's basically can they make it through the season
1: (laughs) Ah, Okay.
0: It's good. It's escapist in the aesthetic sense as well, because you're in the Mediterranean and on some yacht. Hmm. I think the fascination sort of runs along the line with, we understand that this is not reality when we speak about reality television. And I think it's almost like, how much are we intrigued with pushing the boundaries of the surreal? I think about it a lot because I watch it a
3: so start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
0: Not Joel, Okay, what is a trait you dislike in others?
1: When people are stingy. Yeah, I think uh, generosity is uh, one of the most important qualities. When a person is generous, they have a lot of other good qualities to be genuinely generous.
0: What is the quality you dislike in yourself?
1: You know, if I get attention from someone that is famous or influential, I can still overvalue their position more than like who they are as a person. And uh, I don't like that.
0: I think we all grapple with the idea of fame, whether you're famous or not, with the idea of this valuation of people. That logically feels arbitrary, I think, to some degree. Mm. And I grew up in Seattle in the 80s and 90s, which felt very similar to maybe Nordic countries Mm -hmm. in the sense of weather affecting moods, a degree of cynicism, but a tall poppy syndrome there, I think. So the idea of fame felt scorned a bit, like... The reason why I keep going back to that narrative is because I guess I want the question answered. Did Seattle sort of give me a similar complexity with the idea of fame, which is complicated for everybody, but in this particular subcategory?
1: Yeah, I get it.
0: What is your relationship with fame?
1: Well, I mean, I think it's changed over the years. I think in the beginning... You know, Sweden is a small country and sometimes, you know, some people get very like concentratedly famous in that country. And because it's so such a small population and so few media outlets that when someone gets really famous in Sweden, then truly like everyone knows who they are. And I think I experienced that I had a period in Sweden where I had several films that all became pretty popular come out in a short period of time.
0: Were you in your 20s?
1: Yeah, late 20s. But the thing is, I moved to the States right before that happened. I'd already moved to the U.S., you know, where I was just starting out and going to auditions and sort of going through the early humiliating phase of, you know, auditioning in Hollywood and just facing, you know, daily rejections. It was kind of nice because it sort of took the edge off of it. And I got to sort of settle into that reality. But I was sort of just noticing it online that all of a sudden everyone... You know, back home was talking about me and stuff. And then when I came, went home to visit, we got to feel how that felt when, you know, everyone on the street kind of knew who you were.
0: Interesting that you're balancing these two worlds of fame in Sweden and rejection in Hollywood, or at least the struggle with success. But everything is so comparative.
1: I think I actually had a pretty healthy view on it. And I remember thinking that it was really good to be in the States. You know, it's probably not good to be around where people are like so excited about you. I recognized that it was, you know, good to be humble around those things and not to let it affect your personality. And and I think I realized early on that the goal was to not let your view of yourself get changed by how other people were changing around you. That was the goal, but you know, then, of course, because you're always going to change a little bit, it's, it's going to affect you in some way. But the goal was to not be affected, and the, I was pretty conscious around that.
0: Is there a word in Swedish that you wish had an appropriate translation?
1: It's usually the other way around, because uh, Swedish just has so many fewer words than English. There's one word called logon. And it's a word that sort of encompasses the whole Swedish personality.
0: What does it mean? Yeah, tell me.
1: It's a word that has a positive connotation. And it means not too much, not too little. It's kind of like just right. But it's not as positive as just right. It's like this sort of kind of celebration of the lukewarm.
0: Yeah, that's pretty great.
1: Yeah, it is. It's sort of a celebration of, you know, not taking too much attention, not being too loud, not wanting to have too much, you know. To be happy, you just need, uh, you know, a, a long amount of money.
0: Don't excite your heart too
1: much. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: You'll live longer.
1: It's pretty wise, but pretty boring, you know? Yeah,
0: I think that's a great summation. Um, I have this game called Deal Breakers.
1: Okay, let's do it.
0: All right, let's assume that you're single, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Your scenario card is, this is your first date. They consulted a psychic about you. Is this a deal breaker?
1: Um, No, that's not a deal breaker.
0: Okay, okay. But wait, what if you realize that she consults her psychic about everything? Like what she should order for dinner? (laughs)
1: It depends if if this is like something that she truly believes in, like this is her religion. It's a little much. Um, It would be the same kind of difficulty than to meet someone that is like deeply religious, where their whole life is guided by a religion. That's just so far away from the way that I view the world. So it might be hard to form a relationship with that big of a discrepancy in worldview.
0: I'm so with you. That was an excellent answer, Joel. Okay, on your first date, they bribe the host at a restaurant for a good table.
1: Oh, I'm with you. Nice work.
0: Not a deal breaker.
1: Hell no. That's a big plus.
0: Okay, they ask how many people you've slept with.
1: Yeah, that's okay.
0: That's okay? That's
1: okay. Yeah. I mean, on the first date?
0: Yeah, how about on a podcast, Joel? Do you want to tell me how many people you slept with?
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs>
0: You don't know this person?
1: I mean, I would laugh it off. I would take it as a joke. But if she was like, no, I need to know this before I can have another conversation, then it would be a short night.
0: Okay, well, let's role play for just a second. Mm-hmm. Just to challenge you on this. Mm-hmm. We're on a date. Okay, so I just like I just want to kind of get this out of the way, but um, how many people have you slept with?
1: <laughs> you know, I, I need to know you a little bit better before I feel comfortable telling you that. Why? Because that's very intimate and I don't know you. And you might be a fucking psycho going to tell.
0: (laughs) Joel, we've been texting for so long. No, you know, I'm not a psycho. I just need to know how many people I just did. But your
1: voice definitely sounds psycho. (laughs) No, I can't help
0: it. We've been texting. Yeah, you know, I'm not a psycho, Joel. (laughs) Okay, here's an interesting one. They tell you they once worked at a strip club.
1: Yeah, I'm okay with that.
0: All right. Would you ask what they did at the strip club?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, did you dance, wait tables?
0: No, janitor. Oh. You would not believe how much toilet paper strippers
1: can go through. No, I can imagine. Like,
0: they are so messy. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Final one, they constantly name drop.
1: Yeah, that would be a, a deal breaker.
0: Is there a name that would impress you?
1: I mean, sure, but but it's just, if someone is in a conversation and is trying to impress you with the people they know, then that signifies a kind of insecurity, but also, and it indicates that it might be like a social climber and someone that's very impressed with fame. And it, it's just a lot of things that are built into that, which would make me, um, it would be a turnoff.
0: Yeah, I do feel like that is unattractive to most people. Yeah. They live in a yurt in Oregon.
1: Oh, that's why.
0: The (laughs) eco footprint is 86%. less (laughs) less <laughs> what is wrong why is my date voice the same horrible person <laughs> she name drops and she lives in a year yeah
1: she's super annoying i
0: know uh, i'm sorry <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah i mean that's a lot you know it's a. Uh, I i appreciate that you sort of live what you preach but it's also a little little much That would indicate someone that I don't think I would vibe with that much. I think you're a little too virtue signaling for my taste.
0: All right. I like that. Let me ask you this one. I think as actors, you know, going all over the place, the idea of finding that particular contentment, uh, comfort, I guess. And if you have that, where it is?
1: Yeah, I definitely have that. But it's something that we built First, we built like a home for my parents. We got this like piece of really decrepit land, but on the ocean a couple hours north of Stockholm. And it had these, you know, five shacks on it. And then we've just been building more houses. So it's basically become this little family village. And my parents live there full time now.
0: How cool!
1: It is insane. Uh, Like I've spent the um, same amount of money that would, you know, cost to buy like a three bedroom home in Venice. There's so many acres of woods and ocean. I mean, it's crazy. But the whole idea is I realized that, you know, when I grew up, we had this little cottage in the forest that we would go to in the summer. And it was literally the size of this room. Smaller, actually. And my whole family would be there, like 20 people, big family. And it was great for half a day. And then everyone wanted to kill everyone. (laughs) (laughs) And the key to being able to be with your family for a longer period of time is to be able to be with your family and then have the space where you can go and be away from everyone. So this was this idea that I had. We're going to create this like little family village where like all the kids can run around and play. And then, you know, we can have dinners together and then everyone can go to their own space and close the door.
0: That sounds awesome. Do you have a name for it?
1: It's a place called Rumsham. It's right by this fishing village from the, the 16th century.
0: Oh, my God. How cool. Yeah. But it must be a source of comfort just to know that that space is there.
1: Oh, yeah. It's my happy place. Yeah. My like closest friends, they go there uh, when I'm not there. They go there and hang out with my family and my sisters and, you know, my cousins and my parents and... And all the little family units come out and, you know, hang out together.
0: Will you describe, like, a perfect meal that you would have there with your family?
1: (laughs) It's always several things because, you know, there's, uh, you know, carnivores like me, there's omnivores, there's uh, vegetarians and vegans, you know. So there's always, like, a bunch of different dishes. Who's the poor cook? Yeah. Oh, my God. So there's always, like, five people cooking different things together. And then someone would make a salad that everyone eats and then... You add little things here and there. And yeah, it's a lot of cooking going on.
0: And like the sun doesn't set.
1: No, it doesn't. It's crazy. Now I was there in June and it literally does not get dark and it gets dusky for a half an hour. And then like by one in the morning, you see that it's getting like significantly lighter, but it never gets dark.
0: What does that do to you? I mean, can you just not fall asleep? Like how does it
1: Yeah, I mean, it's important to have like, you know, blackout curtains and stuff to get your sleep, but you definitely use more of the day so you're very active.
0: I wonder then it must be the opposite in the winter.
1: Yes, miseria.
0: But there must be something kind of cool about that as well, right?
1: It's really cozy and and creative. People do a lot of good writing and music and, you know, cuz you're in your cave and um I love being in Sweden in the winter for a couple of weeks, but the winter is long, too. And a rough winter, it feels like the winter is like five months. It feels really long. But, you know, there's real value to that, too, because in the spring, in Sweden and in Scandinavia in general, there is a physiological thing that happens to us that doesn't happen to, like, these sort of, what do you call that in English? In Swedish, it's called, like, spring feelings, but... It's an expression in English too.
0: Do we? I don't know. I don't know if I could think of it. I mean, I grew up in Seattle, so we had eight months of dreary rain.
1: Yeah. I think you feel it there too in the in the Pacific Northwest. When I was in Vancouver, which is, you know, the same. Yeah. You would get the same thing. And it's this, you know, when the sun comes out in, you know, in April, May, when when you really feel the spring, you get euphoric. And you can feel the whole society like waking up from winter. And there is this sense of euphoria in the air that you don't get in other places. I mean, I will take the just general happiness of California <laughs> uh, over the, the two weeks of euphoria. But it is special. Like, I love it.
0: Yeah, I think I might be almost done. I loved it for 20 years. California? Yeah. Yeah. And I might be almost ready.
1: There's so many that are ready to bounce. Where are you going?
0: Back up to Washington. The San Juan Islands, which they're just below Vancouver. You know, there's like that whole cluster of islands. You know,
1: that archipelago is really one of the wonders of the world. It's It's so beautiful. The nature there is incredible.
0: We just can't wait to get back up. I get it. Yeah. Joel, I can't thank you enough. It was so much fun. I so appreciate your time and sharing your life stories with us. Thank you again.
1: Hey, it was a a pleasure. Let's do it again sometime.
3: I would love that. I would love that. Bye, Joel. Bye-bye.
4: upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order that's quince.com slash upgrade
0: hey everyone april buyer is back now officially as my much-needed co-host As you know from previous episodes, April brings great advice, insight, and years of experience. I am so thrilled to have her.
4: Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm actually seeing you right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So tell us what's going on.
4: Yes. um, So basically, me and this guy have been seeing each other for a little over a month now. And um, it's really hard for me to meet guys that I'm compatible with, I guess. I grew up in a very small area and he has been nothing but wonderful to say the least. (laughs) But um, I have had some small issues just with not being able to, well, I've had some goals for myself for a little while now. And um, I feel like, like I want to move away and he's got his family all around here. So it's made it a little bit of a challenge, I guess, because He's been great, but he lives in a very, very, very small town. And as a gay person, (laughs) like, it's kind of hard to be, like, I grew up there and I'm ready to kind of, like, spread my wings and, like, be somewhere where I can feel more myself. And he's had that, like, he's lived in the city before, but at this point, his mom has some health issues. So he's trying to really be there for her and take care of her. So I don't know. I'm just left in a really precarious situation. And he's got a son. Which his son, he lives with his mom the majority of the time. So he's kind of in the middle.
0: In your letter, you write that your lease is about to be up.
4: Yes, yes. At the end of this month.
0: (laughs) So there is a decision that has to be made, right?
4: Yeah. Well, and it kind of sucks already because I've like missed out on some places that I really would have liked. Like right now is a really big time for when you're moving especially in places that have colleges. So I missed out on a lot of the places that I would have already really liked to have moved because I'm kind of left in this bit of indecision.
0: (laughs) Are you in a bigger city right now or are you in the small town that you grew up in or kind of in between?
4: I'm kind of in between, yeah. um, I go to college where Melissa McCarthy went (laughs) at SIU. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So it's kind of like a smaller area, but it's a bigger area within a smaller area, if that makes sense. So... (laughs) Around here, I can get around, okay. Oh, I didn't mention I don't drive. So that's like a big issue. in relationships in the past has kind of been kind of a pattern for me is I get involved in these relationships and I kind of just give in.
2: Give in to what, John?
4: Just basically whatever the other person kind of wants, which I'm happy with anything, you know, but I feel like after my relationship that was before this one that I just started, I had picked the place that I lived because of, you know, I there's so many things that I did, and then it didn't work out, and so maybe there's more the issue of, of me being kind of fearful of having that kind of situation repeat itself. I don't know.
0: So your current boyfriend wants you to move in with him, and he lives with his mom. Yes. And you've been dating for a month. Yeah. But you're really in love. Well, nope. <laughs> I don't know. I'm
4: kind of a. <laughs> you well, took too long. <laughs> grow into it. Hmm. <laughs> like, like, I don't know. I see extreme potential. Like, I haven't hit it off um, and had this much chemistry, I guess, with someone in a very long time, if ever.
0: John, do you mind my asking? Is there an age difference in your new relationship? Yes.
4: He's 10 years older than me. I'm 29, so he's 39 and going on 40. So he's had a little bit more life experience, I guess, than I have. I'm kind of ready for
0: that. Right. Fortune of my life. You are? Okay. But you kind of also want the big city.
4: Well, no, that's what I meant. I'm ready for...
0: Oh, I see. Yeah. He's ready for a little more home life. Yeah. And you're ready for a little more action. Pretty much. Yeah. His boyfriend went out and saw the
2: world and yeah. moved around. and
4: Exactly. Has
2: a kid and yeah. got to do life. And so now he's taking care of a parent. And so, of course, he wants you to move in with him and be where things are on schedule and whatnot because of his kids and his mom. Absolutely. But I'm sorry. I'm just hearing that you keep deferring to the people that you're in relationship with and you sort of mold into their life of what they want. And I want to know why you do that.
4: I don't know. I've always been more of a passive person, I guess. I grew up around really dominant personalities. My mom's a pretty dominant person. I don't know. I've always been kind of a people pleaser. I think that's kind of part of being a gay male, too, is like you kind of try to make everyone like you. And
0: an actress. Yeah,
4: (laughs) we relate in that way, for sure.
2: My best friend is gay and lives in New York City, and his husband is amazing, and I've known him since we were 15 years old. And when he hit 30, he really came into his own and, you know, stood up to his parents and changed the way he was dating. And we've talked about this before on the show. It's like something happens at 30 where everything starts to make sense, right? It's like you start to make different friends and meet different lovers and start to communicate at a higher level, you know, just because you haven't had chemistry in this way before, doesn't mean it's not out there for you because that's a scarcity mindset, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, well, I've never had this before, so I'm going to grab onto it because it must be the only game in town. I'm, no offense to your boyfriend.
4: That's, that is.
2: But yeah, it's just not a good enough reason to make a decision.
4: No, no, it really is. Like growing up in a small town too, it's kind of, you get slim pickings when it comes, especially if you're a gay guy, you know, like.
2: Exactly.
4: There's a lot that you can be with, but there's not a lot that you can really like build something with, I guess, you know, and definitely I completely agree with what you're saying. Like, I think it is like kind of a, but he's completely different than anyone that I've ever been with. I want to think that it is. And I I would hate to look back on it someday and think that I missed out on something, I guess.
0: John, let me reassure you that luckily life doesn't work like that. Yeah. (laughs) Like sometimes I'll ask my podcast guests what their biggest regret is. And it's a tricky question because like the decisions that we've made have led us to a certain place So whether they were great decisions or, you know, like, I think that that's always the conclusion. Anyway, that's just sort of a side note philosophy. But here's what I want to ask you. Do you believe that your partner loves you more than you love him?
4: I think that we love each other maybe in different ways because I've always been like a giver. Not that he's a taker. He's kind of a giver, too. I don't know. He's very kind. I mean, he calls me on every single one of his breaks at work. And it's sweet, but it is still early, too. I'm fearful of that because I've been in relationships before where it's really great right off the bat. And then it turns into this, like...
2: Ah, I know what you're doing, John. I know exactly what you're doing. (laughs) What? I'm
4: projecting on that.
2: No, you've gone for the chemistry before and the excitement. Yeah. And then it fizzled and it died out probably pretty quickly. 90 days, usually, is when the wheels come off. And now you've chosen somebody older and more settled and more safe. And you use the word kind and sweet, right? Well, okay.
4: There's sexual chemistry too. Okay.
2: I hope so. Okay. Okay. But it sounds like, it just sounds like you guys are also maybe in different places. If your lease wasn't up right now, would you be looking toward and really excited about moving in with him?
4: I don't know. Um, That's a really good question. I think I would. I think the big fear is not being able to get around, like I said.
2: Yeah, loss of your freedom and being too dependent on him. Yeah. Because he's not in an area where you can walk to anything. or
4: And he's acted kind of offended when I've acted like, because I've been in this situation in the past where the, no, you don't have to worry about it. I can I can take you wherever you want to go. And then it's like, it does become kind of a nuisance, I feel like, or becomes like a ammunition in some way. And I don't want that necessarily. So maybe it's just, it's probably my past relationships but i don't know
2: <laughs> well it's disempowering right i mean it is gosh my parents are at that point where we're trying to like take their license away and what bothers them it's like the loss of the freedom and the loss of the ability to get up and go when they want and having to rely on other people it's a real thing you're feeling that has nothing to do with past relationships right. that's like that's real you don't want to rely on your partner to daddy you For and everything. say can i have a ride yeah.
4: <laughs> exactly. Like even if they offered, I would still feel weird about it. You know. Like,
2: yeah. And in situations like that, sometimes chemistry gets watered down in those kinds of relationships. The chemistry dies because it becomes more like kid parent.
4: Yes, I know. And that's what's happened in the past. And I'm really trying to avoid that. But at the same time, it's I don't think that he has ill intentions with it. No.
0: John, do you have the financial resource to easily rent an apartment in the, the city? Or is that hard?
4: No, I mean, it's not super hard. It's just I have very strict expectations, I guess. (laughs) And I had found like a couple places that, in my opinion, really perfect. but
0: They're gone now?
4: Yeah, they're gone now. (laughs) They're gone now. I'm sorry. No, it's okay.
0: (laughs) John, I feel like we need to hang up and you should get apartment hunting. (laughs) My opinion is, though, that relying on him for transportation and also if his mom lives with him, These are two big hurdles in a new relationship. I'm worried that you'll feel trapped pretty quickly and resentful. Yes. And if you're a person who likes having some alone time, if you've been living by yourself, this will be a new experience for you. You know, having two roommates (laughs) and no subway. (laughs)
4: I know. That's that's the thing. It's like there's no getaway. I mean...
0: So I don't know what the rush would be. It's really hard to like take any steps backwards if you need to slow things down. Exactly. Because it sounds to me like you're not quite ready to do this. Yeah. And is he making you feel a little bit like this is a deal breaker?
4: It's just been used as ammunition a lot i'll be like oh i wish i could see you and well you could like it's kind of like that and he
0: a little passive aggressive like jokey
4: it's like i told you you could move in like i'm like uh okay well you know my reasons i've told you this we've discussed my reasons like why are you still bringing this up at this point that's kind of what it feels like
0: so you're kind of stuck between spending a whole lot of time with your boyfriend Or not as much time as maybe you'd like.
4: Exactly. And he has reasons, I guess, for staying where he does, but I do too, you know? And so it kind of just feels like, I don't want to say hopeless, but it kind of, in a small way, it kind of does. There's not an easy compromise. Him being a great son and him being an amazing father, and that is part of what makes me like him, (laughs) like... And I mean, even his exes, everyone that he's ever been with has nothing but kind things to say about him.
0: He's just a really good guy.
4: He is. He's a great guy, like amazing guy. But it still feels like sometimes my wants are a little drowned out, I
2: guess. Which is bad for you, John, because you just said you earlier that you grew up with parents who were more dominant. Yeah. And you had to be a people pleaser and put your own needs aside. If you feel like you're going to get swallowed up in this and you're going to kind of lose yourself, that's the scary part. Forget about the getting around part. That's like a byproduct. That's easy. But this is way bigger than that. and yeah. You know, we're listening to you and we don't hear this joy in your voice about wanting to go and move in. And, and you know, compatibility, when we look at relationships and as a somebody who puts people together for a living, it's never just, oh, they're compatible emotionally. It's also, are they compatible lifestyle? Are they both at the same point in their lives? Do they have the potential to grow together? Are both of their dreams and goals going to be realized within this relationship, or is someone going to get in the way of said goals? Are they logistically viable people? You know, it's not just hearts and flowers and romance and sex and everything else. It's all-I wish it were. Right? I wish it was too. But it's also <laughs> about like, does this serve your life as well? Because we're all going to meet amazing people along the way. Yeah. And then it's like that should be the sort of the baseline of like, I'm dating somebody amazing, but am I right for them and are they right for me just from a practical perspective? Because you know you've arrived in relationship readiness when you're able to move on from a relationship that's actually really good, where you really love and admire and respect somebody, but it's not the Ultimate relationship because it isn't going to work out in a practical aspect. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. And if this is the best chemistry you've had and the best compatibility you've had thus far, that just tells us that you're almost there. Like you're getting really close. It should put you in an abundant mindset not in a scarcity mindset of like, well, it's the best I've had, so I'm going to just have to kind of put away my needs. It's no, this is the best I've had, which is a really good signal from the universe that more is coming my way. Yeah. I'm not saying break up with him, but. No,
4: no, I know. It's It's a bigger conversation, I think. Yeah. You know, it's about what we want, or I think anyway, I don't know.
2: You've never lived in the big city and...
4: No, this is all new to me. Yeah. but Or this will be new to me and I'm excited about it, but I don't know.
2: Have you ever lived in a big city all on your own?
4: No, I have never.
2: If we fast forwarded another 10, 20 years... And let's say you moved to this small town, you moved in with him, you helped care for the mother, the son, and you never got to do the big city thing. Do you think that would impact your overall well-being and who you are as a human being and as a man, that you never got to experience that? I don't
4: know. I think that I need to maybe find myself. My last relationship was the first relationship that I was really out in.
0: Were you heartbroken?
4: Oh, yes. Yeah, I got cheated on. (laughs) Um,
0: I'm sorry.
4: I mean, yeah, I'm over it now. Um,
0: but you haven't really lived until <laughs> you've been exactly, <laughs> Like at all. Like, I still get
4: looks when I, not that it's going to be completely different in the city, but I feel like the majority of people in a city are kind of more accepting. So that's a big part of it for me. I don't
2: know.
0: Yeah. If I told you, John, if my advice was, I want you to move in at the end of July with your boyfriend. For three months, would your immediate gut reaction be one of relief? Like, okay, all right. Or would it be like, oh, uh, no, I am. Um, are you sure?
4: Maybe a little bit of dread, to be honest.
0: Don't, don't do it. This is good. Okay. <laughs> We've gauged the gut emotional reaction. We have had, you know, this crazy year of quarantine, there's been a lot of loneliness. There's been a lot of, like, seeking of intimate companionship. We are in this transitory period now, hopefully. (laughs) But it's summertime. People are going to be more social. There is going to be life experience out there waiting for you. Yeah. And I think if you can afford to not move in, that would be my recommendation. He does sound like an amazing person. He sounds really generous and thoughtful. He is. And loving. And it sounds like he really knows how to love in a healthy way. Yeah. I'm hearing all of those things. And I understand that. I could see you, though, if you decided to move in, feeling pretty stuck in about six months, probably having nothing to do with him, just like all of the circumstances and everything. And I could see little petty fights growing into larger things. Yeah. So I wouldn't recommend living with him just yet. I do want you to be able to see each other more, though. I understand that, you know, if you're like me, you like companionship. Long
4: distance is hard for me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. So I really feel your sort of rock and hard place here. Why
2: can't he come get you and have you stay for a weekend, you know, at a time?
0: I
4: mean, that's kind of been on the table but the thing is, he works so much, which I don't blame him because one of the things I love him for is how great of a parent he is. Like, But he has to see his son too. And I've even said, you know, you can pick your son up and come out, you know? But he does need that time. And I, I don't want to take away from that because he's eight years old, you know? He still went to sleep in bed with his dad, you know? And I, I love that because that doesn't last forever. And I want him to have that time.
0: I think you can tell your partner I can't move in with you yet because of my circumstances or however delicately you want to put this, you know, I don't think you can say that you want to do whatever you can to see each other as much as possible. Absolutely. And unfortunately, because of the circumstances, your boyfriend has to do a little more traveling. I wish I had a more practical. I wish I could. No,
4: that's I think that's great. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> is this a relief, though, for us to kind of totally nudge you in the direction of big city?
4: It, it absolutely is. I mean, I think that that's what I kind of needed to hear. Or I don't know, I, that's what I want. And I want him too, but I'm so used to things kind of not working out. And then I, I'm stuck in a lease somewhere else. Or whatever. And, I, and it's just kind of resentment, like April said.
2: Well, it's resentment, John, because you didn't empower yourself with making bold decisions. So if you're stuck in a lease, if you're stuck in a relationship, if you're stuck in a town, those are choices because you didn't stand up and go, here's what I want. I know. You know, I moved to New York when I was 18 years old. It was the best thing I ever did for my life. Yeah. Was just get up and get out of my town and go. And it's where I did all my growing and got my taste and everything. Everybody needs to do a big city once in their life.
4: Yeah, that's kind of how I feel. And I, I don't know if I'm ready to like set down roots somewhere small, like before I can experience that.
2: Right. But if you love him and he may not even be conscious of this and he's not doing this because he's trying to manipulate you. But he is needing a partner who wants a home life. His kid is eight. He has partial custody. He wants to sleep in bed with him. Uh, He's got an ailing mother. He lives in a small town. Hard for him to meet people too because of his schedule. And like you said earlier, slim pickens. So I don't blame him for wanting you to move in either. I don't either. But his life isn't set up the way yours is. You don't have a mother you're taking care of. You don't have a son. So in order to go move in with him, you have to make his choices and his life will become your life. Exactly. And there's such a thing as planes and cabs and Uber and all kinds of things. And I wouldn't say I'm going to feel stuck if I do this. I love what you said to us earlier about I have dreams and I have goals and I've never done the big city and because I can't drive I need to feel independent. And I love you for saying you'll take me anywhere, but I don't want to have to rely on you because that will hurt our relationship at some point. Because, John, it's easy to move in. It's really hard to move out. It's so hard. Oh, it's no. so brutal oh, my moving God. out. It's hard. <laughs> oh, it's awful. It's what stops people from breaking up because you're now roommates. You've got furniture and a house and all kinds of stuff together. And it, it basically elongates relationships that should have ended a lot
0: sooner. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, great guy... It's a small tragedy that the circumstances aren't a little bit different. I know. But I could see you moving in and then in sort of a search for the next stage in life, getting married. And I could kind of see, like you said, sort of playing out maybe somebody else's wish list for their future. Yeah. John, you got to reverse engineer this.
2: Like earlier on, you said it's hard to find compatibility. You need to start writing down what is compatibility for you. Who am I? What are my core needs? What are my deal breakers? What are my must-haves? How do I want to feel in a relationship? And then what you do is you reverse engineer that. So if you say, I need to feel independent, then what kind of guy would you need to be with in order to feel very strong, to be able to have your opinions, to have your freedom, to be able to achieve your goals and your dreams? Yeah. Like, do it now.
4: I'm actually going to look at apartments this weekend, too. <laughs>
0: oh, good. You didn't need us, John. <laughs> well, no. I, I, <laughs> no, but I want to let you off the hook with guilt, you know, because I, I think that I see myself in you a little bit. Like, I see the pleaser or trying to make a bad thing work for a long time. Trying, Yeah. <laughs> And this may not be a bad thing, but I could maybe see those elements in your personality. So you're not breaking his heart. Will he be hurt or does he already kind of...
4: It's still been something that's kind of up in the air. And I don't know. I was so excited when I went to go look at apartments and all he could ever say about it was, well, you could move in. I'm like... Like, I don't know.
0: He's guilting you a little. Yeah. He
4: is a little bit. Yeah. I don't want to see it as a manipulation because I don't think he's that kind of person. But I do think that it's...
2: No, he just wants you
0: with him.
4: Exactly. Like, I feel like there's, like, a difference when you move in with someone.
0: You can tell him, like, these are special circumstances, too, you know? They are. They are. Yeah, they are, and he needs to understand that. I'm sure he realizes on some level that you will feel kind of stuck at his house in the middle of nowhere with his mom.
4: Yeah, well, I try to put it in perspective for him here. I'm like, how would you feel if I was like? hey, you want to move out here? And he couldn't drive, you know, like, I don't think that he would be happy with that either. And he kind of acts like he understands, but then it's just kind of...
2: Well, he's in more of a parental stage of life. He's 39, going on 40. He is a parent, and now he's parenting his mother. Yeah. And in many ways, that's bleeding into your relationship. And I'm sorry, but a month is way too soon to live with somebody. I mean... Seriously, give it like, yeah, give it at least 90 to 120 days before you even think about yeah. living and cohabitating. Because I don't care if there's a marriage license or not, like we said earlier, it is hard to move your stuff out. Then what you do is you dissolve any opportunity for <sighs> long lasting friendship. But first, you've probably gotten a couple of dogs. Yeah, exactly.
4: Oh, I know. God. How many that relationships nice did
2: day. I not want to leave? Because I'm like, well, what's going to happen to the dog? <laughs>
4: Or you grow an attachment to their dogs. (laughs) Yeah.
2: You know, it's so funny, John, when I have couples getting together and they're deciding what they should do with their new relationship, I always check in like every 60, 90 days. And I ask them like, are you still inspired? Are you excited? Are things working? Whenever they start to feel a little complacent and kind of like, "Uh," and they're afraid to let go, I push them out the door because what happens is when they let go of that relationship that's good but not the end-all, be-all. They open themselves up to the next person, and that next person is usually the right person that fits in all categories. In order to get there, you have to trust you have to put your faith in yourself and the universe and say, you know what? This is great and it's good, but it's not good enough for where I am in my life right now and the things I want to do.
4: My sister literally said the same thing.
2: <laughs> well, I love your sister. <laughs> I'm excited for your summer. Yeah, me too. I am
4: too. Get yourself
2: out there. There's more for you. I'm sorry. I'm being so mean about your guy. I'm sure he is awesome. I don't mean to be. No. I, I'm not saying break up. I'm, by the
4: I'm way. not. Okay. Yeah, I'm not okay. hearing that at all. From you, so, yeah, so
0: okay. And how <laughs> nice that you, John, are the kind of person that can accept and receive strong love, yeah. you know, and give it back. That's amazing. Well, that's
4: that's how I felt, too, in the beginning of this relationship. I think that's kind of why it's hard for me to exactly, like, you know, I've always given that kind of love and I never had it reciprocated. So, I mean, what April said is probably right. I'm getting some and
2: but you're getting closer. You know, I always say when you're, when you meet somebody and they're really nice to you, instead of thinking, okay, I've been in the desert and I'm crawling through the desert and I'm super hungry and I'm thirsty. And the first person that comes over to goes, here's a glass of water. You don't think like, oh, you're my person. You just go, thank you. I deserve that water. So the more, you know, you deserve and you have your own value and self-worth, you can say, I'm so glad you love me. And I appreciate your love. But of course, inside you have to be thinking, of course you love me. I'm lovable, right? It's not being in your ego as much as it is being in your absolute awareness of who you are and what you have to share with a partner.
4: Yeah, you're right.
2: And, you know,
0: you don't need to make any decisions with your relationship. I'm going
4: to try it and see what long term is for me. Yeah. It's been a challenge.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I, I want you to experience your 30s the way you want to, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you don't get those back, by the way. I know. They go real fast, the 30s, so live it. The
4: 20s went like lightning. (laughs) They sure (laughs) do. do.
0: (laughs) And I like the idea of you getting to know yourself in a bigger, more stimulating environment, you know?
4: I feel like that's probably part of my um, kind of shyness. I grew up in a really strictly religious family in a small town.
0: Yeah, oh man.
4: I know. (laughs) I have to load more on this, (laughs) but (laughs) I feel like that's why I need to have that level of freedom in a city.
2: 100%.
0: I think cities can make one feel extraordinarily lonely at times, but I think the personal challenge of getting to know a city, of finding a community, I think it's so rewarding and exciting, too. Yeah, John, I'm happy for you. And I think everyone's going to be, like, going berserk this summer. Summer of love. Oh, definitely, yeah. (laughs) And as far as your partner, he might ramp up a little bit those passive-aggressive statements. I would just keep an eye on that. I don't think they need to escalate into an argument. I don't think you really need to say too much back that's antagonistic in any way. But to me— I would just keep a little eye on it. I wouldn't want that to be a major character trait of his.
4: Me either. I don't want that. I want openness and like...
0: Yeah, as a general note in life, I just think that's a tough communication pattern to get into. And when we take really good care of
2: ourselves and say to our partner, you know, it's not about you. This is something I need. I need my independence. I need to explore. I'm a decade younger than you are and I will be a better partner... If I do these things and I achieve these goals and I find my voice because I need this for me so that I can be better for you. Yeah. And if the partner pushes back on that, then it's not love at all. Yeah. Right. But you have to be able to articulate in that way for people to know how to treat you.
0: Yeah. You're absolutely right. I wish she had talked to me when I was 14. <laughs> I wish she had talked to me like five years ago. <laughs> I'm here now. My mom used to always tell me, be selfish in love. And I never really understood what she meant. And I think it really kind of means what April is saying, you know, putting your
4: goals, putting your needs.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There will always be hurt feelings, sadly. Rejection
2: is a gift. You know, I right before I met my husband, I broke up with somebody who I'd been with for about a year and a half who was lovely, one of the nicest guys I had ever met, incredibly supportive, adored me, respected me, but I wasn't feeling that deeper love. I wasn't being as nurturing as I know I know how to be, and when I ended it with him, it was, what are you doing? We have such a good relationship, and we've worked so hard. I'm like, yes, yes, but... There's more for me, and if there's more for me, that means there's more for you. And why would you want me unless I was celebrating us? Yeah. And I even said to him, I see you with someone different from me. And you know what? Within two years, I met my husband. He met his now wife, had a couple of babies, and she's exactly the woman I had described to him that I saw him with.
4: I love that. So
2: for me leaving him, I was gifting him with his future like getting out of his way because sometimes we don't know that we're with the wrong people until someone says, I love you, but I may not be your ultimate person.
4: You're so right. That's wow. (laughs) Honestly, that is how I feel. I guess mostly for me, it's fear that I'll never find the right person. (laughs) I don't know. You will, John. You will.
0: There's a lot of great people out there and I'm excited for you. And I don't think we're doomsdaying your relationship. I hope not, at least. Oh, no, you're not.
4: No, it's just, it is a lot to consider. And I'm really glad. I mean, I I think I am kind of hearing what I kind of have known. (laughs) But I don't want to admit myself in time. So I don't know.
2: (laughs) You know what cures fear, John? What? And scarcity. Faith, practice, and experience. Because... We could tell you that you're going to be okay. We could tell you that the world is abundant of amazing guys for you to know that are going to fit into your lifestyle even better than this guy does. We can tell you that, and you'll go, yeah, I I think that. But the thing that cures it is you actually having the physical, practical practice of Meeting somebody and going, oh, I didn't know that this kind of person existed because I didn't have enough knowledge yet. So you're going to just feed your brain and your soul like one meeting at a time, one phone call at a time, one date at a time. This is something that you can't think your way through. You just have to do it. And in order to do it, you have to free fall a little bit and just say, I know that my person is out there and I will not ever live in guilt or scarcity ever. Because scarcity does not drive our love life. It makes us make bad choices is actually what it does.
4: I give people that same advice, and I'm really glad that you said that, too.
2: Well, then take your advice.
0: I know. I'm so
4: <laughs> bad at that. I was like, you deserve better. You, can do, like, or, you don't have to settle.
0: <laughs> it's so easy to give, John. <laughs> I know. I know.
4: I don't get it. I know.
0: Like, <laughs> I'm with you. Hey, John, thank you so much. It was just a pleasure to talk to you.
4: Thank you. Really, i blown away.
0: I just see great things for you in the next year. I really do.
4: Thank you so much. For you, too. I'm passing that back.
0: Thank you, John. (laughs) You're you're adorable. Thank you.
4: (laughs) Thank you so much.
0: Have a wonderful rest of your day.
4: I will. Yeah, you too.
0: Bye, John. Bye, John. Bye.